Grant, O Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts may be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and you are our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I want to say just a word this afternoon, it's afternoon now, about St. Mark and the gospel that is attributed to him today on the Feast of St. Mark. This is the shortest of the four gospels. Uh, many scholars believe that it may be the earliest of the four gospels. And there's a very early tradition, we can trace this back to less than 100 years after the writing of the gospel itself, um, to someone who reputedly knew the Apostle John, that Mark's gospel was relaying the preaching and the teaching of St. Peter. And I think there are good reasons besides the very strong early tradition of that, that we can see even in the gospel itself, there are these elements of a, almost a kind of verbal storytelling. This is my, my personal take on the gospel of Mark. That, that you have these moments, Mark's gospel loves to use the word immediately, Greek euthus. It's sort of keep the story moving along. You can, you can imagine someone saying this. And there are these odd moments where the storyteller almost seems to get ahead of himself. So most famous in the resurrection scene, it says, the women came to the tomb and they were wondering, who will roll away the stone for us? And then they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And you're like, wait, wait. And, and you can just imagine someone telling the story and getting kind of caught up in it. This is strange in a written text, but if someone's telling the story, that, now what you got to understand is it was a really big stone. <laughs> this explains why the women were wondering, how are we going to move this stone? And why they're so astonished when it has been moved. Right? And so I, I think perhaps, this is speculative on my part, but perhaps we actually can hear echoes of Peter's voice as a preacher occasionally in the way Mark tells the story. Now, Mark himself is not named in the gospel attributed to Mark. Uh, but there is one character who appears in one verse, might be two verses, who some readers have thought might be Mark himself. It might be a kind of momentary self-portrait. And that's in chapter 14 when the soldiers come to grab Jesus in the garden and the disciples all flee after Peter's sword incident. And it says there was a young man wearing a, a linen garment, a, a white garment, who ran away, but they, they grabbed him by the garment and he ripped free and ran away naked. We don't know this, but a number of readers think that that could be young John Mark himself. And I, I think it's, I, I'm sympathetic to this reading because I, I think it's really worth meditating on why Mark might have exposed himself, sorry for the, the pun, um, to this kind of censure and ridicule. Why, why would he portray himself in that way? And in fact, the disciples in general, who don't come off always particularly well in the Gospels, and certainly not the Gospel of Mark. We do see him in the book of Acts, 
we see that it's his mother's house, John Mark's mother, to which Peter goes after an angel has miraculously delivered him from Herod's prison. And John Mark is taken along as a companion with Paul and Barnabas when they go on their first missionary journey. Or at least he goes on part of the journey. Uh, in fact, Mark bails partway through and goes back to Jerusalem. He doesn't make it all the way to the end. And the next time that they're setting off on a journey, it says Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark and says, Paul says, no, he deserted us last time. And the disagreement becomes so fierce that it actually breaks up this duo of Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas takes John Mark and goes one direction, and Paul says, I'm bringing Silas, and they go off and minister somewhere else. Which is not particularly auspicious for our man Mark. Um, but this is not the end of the story, and this is what we have to see. At the end of 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says, I send greetings from she who is in Babylon, probably the church at Rome. Okay, that's, that's code. Um, and... My son Mark sends greetings. So we have this hint in, at the end of 1 Peter that Mark is with Peter in Rome, as tradition also holds. Um, that perhaps it was before or a little bit after Peter suffers martyrdom that Mark commits these stories to writing. But the other place we see a mention of him, and I love this, is at the end of Paul's second letter to Timothy. In the fourth chapter, where Paul writes, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. And what I love about this is the way that this, the arc of these stories, as we follow them, we see Mark's story as a story of failure, of flight, of quitting before the job's done, uh, losing steam halfway. But it's also a story of restoration and redemption. And this is the point. That's also Peter's story. That's all the apostles' story. All of them either betrayed or denied or fled or failed Jesus. And yet, we see in Jesus that God nevertheless accomplishes this great salvation. Even at the end of Mark's gospel, the angel says to the women, go and tell the disciples that he's risen from the dead. And it says that the women were filled, filled with fear and astonishment. And they didn't say anything to anybody. It, Mark, I think alone of the four gospel writers, pauses and let, lets us sit with this moment with the women before they've gone and told the apostles, before they've quite processed this even, where they're just so shocked and stunned and overwhelmed by something beyond human imagining, they don't know what to do. They're afraid to say anything about it. Which is not the kind of evangelistic zeal, again, that you would hope for. It's not the kind of example that you would imagine we're looking for here. But this is the gospel that they preach, that they live for, that they die for. This is the gospel, the story that Mark tells, not Mark's story, he doesn't get mentioned, not even Peter's story so much, but Jesus' story, the story of 
strength being made perfect in weakness. The story of God accomplishing something mighty in spite of the failures of his people. Our gospel reading today is the final verses of Mark. And there's something a little bit ironic that this is the reading we get because scholars continue to debate fiercely whether this was originally part of the text of Mark, whether this was actually written by the same author as the rest of Mark, or whether it was added later because of this kind of strange hesitation of the women. Is that really where this ends? It's a point in question. But the more I've thought about it, the more I love that the church has given us this reading as the final reading, as the gospel reading on the Feast of St. Mark. Because what we see beyond the gospel in the book of Acts is that Mark joins the apostles and the early Christians and these others who do all these things in Jesus' name that these verses say, these miraculous things that these verses say they will accomplish in the name of Jesus. That if Mark did write these words, there's this profound transformation and turn in these final verses. And if he didn't, that there has still been this accomplishment that if the text, end of text has been lost or if Mark just leaves it there for us to live out the ending, either way, that God in his providence has nevertheless completed the story, that the story didn't end there. And we know that from the book of Acts and from the rest of the New Testament and from Christian history, that the story doesn't end there. I wonder how often we get focused in on our own failures, our own flaws, the times when we've fled, when we've lost steam or quit partway through the job and haven't finished. Uh And we let that deter us or think, well, I can't approach God in the same spirit now. I can't be used by God in the same way now. I want to suggest that's not the gospel that Mark tells us. That's not the good news. That isn't good news. The good news is that fear and astonishment can be transformed into joy and proclamation. That God accomplishes something beyond the power of these men and women and really does change them and they become different people and they accomplish something that the apostles we saw in the gospel could never have done. But in the power of this risen Jesus, the Holy Spirit does it, and he does it through them. Mark, the quitter, becomes Mark, the writer of the gospel for the church. And he calls us in his writing, in his teaching, and in his life to live in the same power. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.